What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with us on the French Lick Resort guest line is Michael Verska. Let me remind you about Michael's background. He graduated from Purdue University with his Bachelor of Science degree in Mechanical Engineering. While he was in school, he worked for U.S. Steel from 1993 to 1999. And in June of 99, he went to work for Wilson as a product engineer and later as a principal design engineer. 2002, he joined Adams Golf as a design engineer and later became the director of product development for them. He rejoined Wilson in October of 2011 as their global director of innovation and later spent time as their global director of golf R&D. He has a ni- he's 19 years of a veteran club research, design, and development. We are honored he is back with us tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Michael, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Michael. Thanks for ha- Hey, guys, uh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been a, a little while, so great to be back on. It was great to listen to Richard Zilka a little bit. and. Uh, Thanks again. This, uh, this should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. So, Michael, before we get into all the golf stuff, i got to start by talking a little baseball with you. I know you're a big Cubs fan, so <laughs> how are you feeling I about am. the start they've gotten off to? Uh, well, they started slow, but things are picking up. And, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, you Darvish is back off the DL. He's going to start tonight, and I, I, he's an integral part. You know, we obviously need pitching, losing Arietta, and uh, him being on the Phillies now. And, uh, you know, I think he's a great pickup. And, um, you know, just need to clean some things up. You know, we strike out a little bit more than I think. And although we make some great defensive plays, there's some easy ones. So, uh, you know, I'm a big fundamentals guy, whether it's baseball or golf or work or what have you. So, uh, again, I'm a big believer. I like where they're at. I know they're not in first now, but uh, I still like their talent level. And uh, I, I got to be there on Friday. I took my parents to the game. They were in town for my daughter's high school graduation. And uh, I got to go to the game on Friday. and. Uh, froze our tails off, but thoroughly enjoyed the beatdown <laughs> of the White Sox. <laughs> so you got you got Rizzo and Hayward off to slow starts. Jose Quintana, I'm sure not off to the start that you were hoping for from him. Do you think those guys are going to be able to turn things around, or are you expecting some trades to happen before the All-Star break? Uh, well, I mean, they're talking about Machado. Uh, you know, obviously picking up somebody like Manny would, you know, change a lot of things, and uh, if if any of those rumors are true, when you have a chance to get, you know, arguably a top five player, uh, I think you have to do those. And uh, but I, I mean, I, I really do like where they're at. They've, they've got a great nucleus. Um, you know, Chris Bryant's going well. 
Uh, Javi Baez, when, when he makes contact, does well. He, there's still never a pitch he doesn't like, and he doesn't swing at. But <laughs> there's a lot of good things going on. And uh, if trades happen, I just hope they, they uh, not to use another uh, baseball cliche, but hope they swing for the fences and uh, go after some big talent. Because really, except for maybe some bullpen help, uh, I, I really do like where they're at. All right, Michael, let's uh, let's talk some golf. And uh, there have been some exciting technology advances with equipment over, over the last year or so since, you know, you and I spoke. You got Callaway out with their jailbreak technology with their Epic driver. Now the Rogue driver, TaylorMade, has, has got the twist face going on with their drivers. What do you think about what you're seeing from the major manufacturers? And, and where do you think the uh, driver technology has the opportunity to go from here? Well, I think there's a, a couple companies who are really doing well. I, I mean, looking at uh, looking at the product lines right now, I'm really impressed with what Callaway's been doing. Um, you know, really top to bottom in all their products. Uh, certainly, jailbreak technology really was game changing, and how they altered the the flex of the crown. I, I really like what Cobra's doing. Uh, they're a much smaller R&D team, but I've really been impressed with them. Uh, TaylorMade obviously is has uh, rebounded well and are doing some nice things with Twist Face. Um, they've, they've had a tremendous success in the PGA Tour this year, um, TaylorMade has. So, you know, those three especially, I think, continue to innovate, uh, continue to do well. A company like PXG has uh, really changed the industry. I mean, they're, for the price they're selling for, they seem to be doing very well. Uh, they've really changed, you know, the outlook for consumers on what they what what the value of a golf club is. And when you do bring new technology, things that are really game-changing, things that are truly different, um, golfers have shown they're willing to pay for that. So, uh, you know, those are four companies, uh, not that others aren't doing well, but uh, I think it really kind of shined, in my opinion, uh, because of innovation, because their dedication to doing things different, doing things new, um, and, and trying things that may or may not be intuitive, uh, but, but then explaining them well so consumers can understand them when they go into a PGA Tour Superstore, which I know is a sponsor of yours, a bunch of good friends who, who work there, so I'll give them a plug. Um, you know, when you go into a place like that or, you know, go talk to your local pro, they can explain it in a sentence or two and you, oh, I understand how that can help my game. So uh, there are some really good things in innovation. I don't see it slowing down. Um, you know, it, the golf industry is highly competitive. And if you're a company that does slow down, uh, you're a company that's going to lose share in a hurry. So, Michael, quickly, I just want to build off of what you just said with respect to PXG. You said they, that they're changing the, the industry. Is it just changing the industry because of the price point and finding that, you know, golfers, some, you know, avid golfers are willing to pay the higher price for for their equipment, or are they changing it in some other way? I think it's threefold. One, the price, um, and that's going to open some doors for other companies to step in with, um, products that maybe there was a prototype before, but they were just afraid to sell it because they didn't think people would spend that much money. So there could be, you know, there, I think there could be some new technology coming from other companies going, wow, now maybe we can afford this. Uh, two is just there's what they're doing from selling. They're not selling, uh, in any stores. You've got to go get fit 100%. Uh, so if you, you know, if you're going to get a PXG golf club, you know, without question, uh, that you are going to come out of there being fit with the right shafts, the right loft. Uh, the right weight, um, the right grip for you, and, and everything can go with it. I know a few of the fitters that they've got positioned around the U.S. I know one of the guys uh, in Europe who does it, all very knowledgeable. Uh, all the ones that I'm aware of who have years of golf experience, most of them are good players, if not former club pros. Um, so that's the other thing. And then three, 
you know, they're, they're, you know, they're launching product when it's ready. Um, you know, they, they don't have to sell on a yearly selling cycle. So, you know, they may go three years between products, so they may launch a new product in six months. Uh, because of the way they're selling, that, that gives their R&D team and, and their um, production, you know, ability to do some things a little bit different because they, I'm sure they have internal timelines, um, but at least uh, it looks like they're launching when ready. And uh, which is which is a great way, and I really think that will benefit consumers. And we'll see if that starts trickling into the major OEMs who who sell uh, in stores, and and not they certainly fit, but in, in a different manner. So again, technology, the innovation they're bringing, the way they're selling, how they're doing that, uh, and then their selling cycle. And I think they're all potentially game changing. Bob, questions for Michael. Michael, I know you're a very proud Purdue Boilermaker engineer, and <laughs> you went to work into the steel industry right out of college. And I was wondering, it might seem like a stupid question, but it, could you have done what you do now without that background in that industry, Michael? Uh, I, you know, that's a tough question. Obviously, I lived that life, but I, I will say it gave me a great foundation. And the reason it was a great foundation, I learned all about metals and, and how it was made and and really understanding the difference between a forging and a cast product and understanding about, you know, all the nerds will love this, you know, martensitic steel and understanding what grain structure means. Um, that, that all engineers get in a course, and, you know, you might sit through a couple of weeks of it in school, but it's different when you live it for six years. Uh, when you talk to people who've worked in steel for, for 30 or 40 years and you go design irons and putters um, and, and metal woods, obviously titanium is a little different, but it still gives you a great background. So, I am very proud and happy with how I started and um, the, the, the good space that it gave me. So there's certainly guys who are great club designers and great engineers in the industry who don't have that. But uh, for me, I, I, I love that as a launching pad. And I know, Michael, you did a lot of work I was reading with uh, when you work with Adams uh, on hybrid irons. A lot of us uh, mm -hmm. up here are used to hybrid uh, vehicles up here in the Northeast. <laughs> but tell our uh, listeners, some of them that aren't familiar, what, what are hybrid irons and hybrid clubs to begin with? Yeah, so that was really revolutionary back at the time and uh, still, still bodes well for the industry. So my first project at, at Adams was called the Adams Idea Set. That was the first fully integrated set where there was irons matched with the hybrid. So you'd get two iron, excuse me, two hybrids, um, they're basically equivalent to a three and a four, and then maybe a five iron through your pitching wedge. Back then sets were three through uh, pitching wedge have kind of evolved from, from four to gap wedge in most. And the reason why that was game changing is the golf ball was changing at that time. That was really when golf balls were going to solid core. Um, that's also the time that um, launch monitors became prevalent. So what golfers found very quickly is as the ball changed, if you did, if you were a very high swing speed player, you couldn't get your three iron off the ground. And most likely the longest iron in your bag was a five or a six iron. Um, and, and people didn't know that. Uh, but they started to find that out as they started to get fit and started to see on launch monitors. Um, and, and one of the reasons that the golf ball really, the spin re uh, was reduced on the golf ball tremendously when it went from a wound ball to a solid core ball. So the hybrids brought some spin in a good way back into long iron replacements. The other great thing about them is they were much more forgiving at a higher MOI, have a lower center of gravity, which for really every golf runner, including tour players, um, up to the highest handicap is going to be a benefit. So it was really a great time in the industry where you kind of had these things coming together where golfers understood a little bit more how far they hit their irons, uh, understood what launch angle, ball speed, and spin rate. So for the first time in their lives, 
uh, an average golfer could walk into a store and get on a watch monitor and find out, oh my gosh, I can hit my six iron the farthest or my five iron the farthest, not this three and the four. Um, that, you know, that really started the joke is, you know, what do we have our three iron for to punch out from under trees? Because people finally realized, wow, this isn't a good golf club for me, but they bought a hybrid to replace it. It brought distance, brought trajectory back in their game. So, Michael, I guess all the, you know, technology and, and the things and advancements in the game, whether it's, you know, with the equipment or the golf ball, with respect to what's legal on tour, how much, how much better can equipment get with respect to distance before we start getting outside of what I thought was supposed to be legal for distance, <laughs> MOI, and that sort of thing? Well, I, I mean, so there, that's, that's, there's a, there's a, that's a big question, obviously, because there's, um, you know, the, the only real distance rule for from equipment standpoint is on the golf ball. Uh, there's there's a limit the ball speed can go. There's limits of distance it can go. Uh, from a driver perspective, there's limits on the face flex, the amount of, amount of uh, the face can flex, which is called uh, CT or characteristic time is how it's measured, and then MOI. So you get all that together, um, you know, and that's what happens. You know, I think when the you know, the USJ launched their their new distance initiative today. Uh, looking for public comment and, and feedback and even pub independent studies, which I think is wonderful. Uh, hopefully they keep that openness and transparency through this process. But you know, when you look at the distance, you know, it, it's guys like Tony Finau and Bubba Watson and Gary Woodland. These are big human beings, um, you know, who are 6'3", 6'4". Uh, they're using drivers that are in excess of 45 inches. They can get the weight down where they want it, and they get in the launch monitor, and it can perfectly match their driver to their golf ball. So, you know, when you're talking about distance and legality, um, you know, just when you think, I think I, I checked a, a day or two ago, I believe there's over 50 players right now on the PGA Tour averaging over 300 yards a drive. Now, interestingly, there's a bunch of data out, including from the USJ, that says the average golfer, um, is, I think it was 209. Um, so there, there's this massive disparity of, of, you know, 100 yards from the average golfer to even the 50th guy on the PGA Tour. So um, when we talk about distance being an issue, even for good amateurs, I don't think that's true. I think it's, you know, an issue for the very elitist players at the top of their game. Um, how to rule that? Uh, you know, there, there's there's lots of things to do. Is it a ball rollback? Does the club head need to be smaller, which is something that, uh, that no one's talking about. You know, if you make the club head smaller, take the MOI down, um, and, and balls would, would inherently curve more, would that, you know, slow down the kind of bomb and gouge type swing? So there's a lot of ways to get there. Obviously, I have no idea what the USJ's plans are. Um, but I think it's interesting to, to think about what it is and talk about things besides let's slow the golf ball down. So what we don't want to do, I, I love golf. I love going out and play with friends and, and on weekends and weeknights uh, with guys who are, you know, plumbers and architects and lawyers and, uh, none of them complain about the golf ball going too far. So, Michael, where, where do we go from here? Where, what do you think is, is the next big innovation or the next big thing with respect to uh, a golf equipment? Well, I, I think we're starting to see it now. Is, is Again, you can look at a company like Callaway, look at a company like PXG, um, where they are taking the price reins off. And uh, you know, I, there's been many prototypes over my 19 years where we went, boy, this is really cool. Uh, we, we just can't sell it. There's no one on earth who will buy it. That's gone now. So I, I think you're going to start to see things that are, uh, that are more multi-material where you're mixing three, four, maybe even five materials 
to truly maximize every gram that you can put into a head. Um, you know, whether it's thinning the face down and, and putting some sort of structure behind it, uh, whether it's putting, uh, you know, a rubber-based or a polymer-based material uh, that you can really mold with tungsten and, and other uh, heavy weights to, to increase MOI and put the weight exactly where you want it. You can really fine-tune spin. So I, I think that's the next step is being able to fit and, and fit like we do now, but because of the higher price, be able to modify CGs even more. Obviously, Kayla made done a wonderful job uh, with their adjustable weights and, and Callaway and several other companies and, and some of the products I did as well. Um, but with the added cost, you can do some things to even fine-tune it more, make it more personal. Um, and I, I think that that fitting game, which the, the tour players already get and consumers have gotten a taste of, uh, could really step up. But, player, but consumers are going to have to be willing to pay for that. Uh, and, again, it's certainly shown a segment of the golf population has, um, uh, you know, but with everything, there's, there's going to be people who can't afford that. And we just, I just hope that, um, you know, they still love the game and, and get out and play, even though there might be that little bit of separation from equipment um, as that trend continues. So we're looking at $1,000 drivers potentially? Uh, well, yeah, unquestionably, yes. I mean, there, there's been $1,000 drivers in Japan for some time. Now, you can argue whether or not um, the, the the reason those were $1,000 um, was due to performance or due to, you know, things like paint and having gold trim and those types of things. Um, but with the ability to, to do different things and add different materials and different manufacturing processes, uh, yeah, I think we're going to start seeing more seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollar drivers, uh, and then it's really going to get important to fit um, because for, for some players that driver will be better, uh, but there are there's always going to be a group of players where it's not, and I think that's that's where golfers are going to need to go. Okay, I'm now hitting my driver 232. Uh, I go get fit. This driver's 252. That 20 yards is worth a thousand dollars. Boy, if it's 235, that three yards probably isn't worth a thousand dollars. So Golfers, because of the knowledge they have, the ability to go online and find numerous uh, sites of test drivers, they should have a pretty good idea um, of what they're looking for going in. can hit two or three of them on a launch monitor with a, with a qualified professional, hopefully a PGA professional, uh, and then truly know, is this better for me? Is this worth the expenditure? And if it is, by all means, you know, enjoy this great game, play better, hit it farther. Um, that's why we go out. That's why so many of us are passionate about this game is because we want to be our best. Michael, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with uh, all the great things you're doing, and uh, whether it's online or over social media? Yeah, by all means. Uh, Twitter is, is my favorite. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. I, I certainly check those and post, but uh, Twitter is my favorite. I, I love that vehicle, so it's uh, at the golf man the letter v the word golf and the letter man excuse me in the word man i'm on there frequently i uh, i do all that i can to answer every question uh so if anybody's got one by all means uh, fire away i'm happy to make that public uh i'd love to share my knowledge with other people who are passionate about this great game golf but i'm also willing to talk some baseball and cars too but golf's number one there you go. Michael, you're fantastic. Thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Always great having you here. Hope you'll come back and do it again much sooner next time because uh, I always, uh, always learn something when you join me. Chris, I appreciate it, Bob. Great to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, let me know. I'm, uh, I'm always going to come talk with great people.
<laughs> Thank you, Michael. Take care. All the best to you and your family, my friend. Good night, Michael. Thanks. For yep. Bye-bye. And it's Michael Verskan. It's at VGolfman on Twitter. And, uh, Bob, when you look at a guy who's been around the industry 19 years, he has certainly seen, right, the, the growth of the golf industry and, and from small head drivers, right, back when they were still wood uh, to, uh, to what we've got now. Uh, it's, it's amazing the transformation the golf, uh, golf equipment and the golf balls have gone through, and Michael's been a part of it at every level. And you could tell he's a Purdue grad, Chris, an amazingly intelligent guy who's got to stay on top of all this technology on a daily basis. So uh, it's a pleasure to speak with him. What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.